Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. It's Friday and that can only mean one thing. Legends of Sport Friday. It's Andy Bernstein. Hey Andy, how are you? I'm great, Arash. Happy Legends of Sport Friday, my friend. Love it. It's my favorite uh, day of the week. <laughs> Listen, uh, you had uh, an amazing guest, and I say this because I got to work with this man at Slam Magazine a number of years ago, Scoop Jackson, just mm. an amazing human being. If I were to put uh, you know, my top five, top ten nicest journalists, I'd put Scoop Jackson on the list. Talk about the conversation that you guys had. Well, going back in time, Scoop and I met, um, we couldn't pinpoint the exact time, but we met during, at some point during the Bulls' second three-peat. And uh, <clears throat> he was, uh, you know, Scoop has got an amazing personality, very outgoing. We became friends, um, you know, down in the trenches covering those years. And that was at the very beginnings of Slam Magazine, which was, you know, incredibly innovative publication. And uh, anyway, I just, you know, stayed in touch with Scoop. Of course, I saw him pretty regularly at NBA events. And, um, you know, I reached out to him about having a, a conversation on the podcast. Of course, we did it. It was such a great conversation um, that we actually, I couldn't edit it. You know, our editors could try to figure out, like, how do we take this, like, hour and 20-minute conversation to make it into 40 or 50 minutes? And we really couldn't. So he decided to make it a two-parter. <laughs> so part one is this week. Part two comes out next week. You had a great, because, you know, you've always been so great to the media, and like myself, you know, when I was just beginning. You said there was a time where it was maybe contentious between the print reporters and the photographers. Tell me when that changed, because, again, I'm so lucky that we've become friends really since the beginning. What was it like back in the day, I guess? You know, that's a great question, man. Um, we photographers are very sensitive people. <laughs> and early in my career, I can remember, we, honestly, we were very jealous of the treatment that we got as compared to the writers. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, the writers, um, they had their little card on their spot, you know, wherever they were in the press box or whatever. We didn't have that. It was almost like, it, it, when I first started, it was a free-for-all on the baseline or on the uh, sideline. Um, to the writer's credit, they, you know, the writers had organized, I don't want to say unionized, but there was like a guild of writers, baseball and football and basketball. Um, they recognized each other. They supported each other. We were like a bunch of like, it, it was like cowboys and Indians, you know, it was crazy. 
And it, it quite honestly, Arash, it's kind of still like that. I mean, I don't want to say the photographers, sports photographers are second class citizens because we're really not. Um, but the respect level um, needs some work, I have to say, across the board with, you know, PR directors and team personnel, leagues, um, all the way down the line. Uh, you know, I, I might I might ruffle some feathers by saying that, but, um, you know, I'll give you another example, like the Halls of Fame. None of the Halls of Fame recognize photographers, except for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm fortunate to have been only the second photographer honored with the Gowdy Award, which is kind of their top media honor. But there are no photographers in the, in Cooperstown. There's no photographers in Canton. That why why is Bruce Bennett not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? I mean, this guy has shot NHL hockey for forty five, almost fifty years. The Godfather. Um, I think it's a travesty, honestly. And maybe in my old age, you know, when I hang up the camera or something, that'll be kind of the cause I take up. But, you know, I would love to see some of my cohorts, contemporaries, people who even preceded me be honored in that way. So anyway, that is a long-winded answer. We're all friends now. <laughs> you know, I respect what you do. You respect what I do yeah. in terms of photographers and writers and everybody coexists. So it's, it's all good. But it's great that you bring that up because, again, if you don't bring it up, that that, that, that that's not a, something that we are aware of or that we would track. And so I think, you know, now moving forward, it's important because – what is one of the things, one of sort of the, one of the things that they say about the Hall of Fame? If you, if you can't tell the story about the sport without this person, and mm -hmm. there's so many amazing photographs and pictures, and how can you tell the story about hockey or about the NBA without the great pictures and the photography? And so you're 100% right. And listen, let's let, let's continue to uh, talk about that from time to time on this show. Mm -hmm. With that being said, let's now get to the first part of this amazing conversation you had on Legends of Sport Friday. It's Scoop Jackson. So this is part one of my fascinating chat with the legendary Robert Scoop Jackson. It's hard to put a label on Scoop, but in a nutshell, he's an author, chronicler of NBA sport and culture, and a media personality. Scoop and I met on the NBA beat back in the 90s. We think it was during the Bulls' second three-peat. I was working all the big events for the NBA, and Scoop was doing the same for an exciting and an innovative magazine called Slam. I always knew if Scoop was around, there must be something big happening. <laughs> Our conversation touched on topics such as the intersection of hip-hop culture and basketball, building trust, and his relationships with Allen Iverson and Kobe, his writing style and approach to fair reporting, social justice issues, sneaker culture, and so much more. So now you know why we had to break this conversation into two parts. <laughs> so enjoy part one with the legendary Scoop Jackson. And as always, I'll see you on the backside. I want to welcome my good friend, Robert Scoop Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> to the Legends of Sport podcast, man. It, you know, um, I was trying to come up with all the the uh, the different titles that you have. So I got I got author, chronicle of the NBA game and culture, TV personality. I don't know what else I got going on, but <laughs> what you got and, going on? And look, look, and just like you, at the end of the day, you are a storyteller through photography. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I'm a storyteller through writing. That's really, a, I'm just a writer. That's yeah. it. Yeah. There's other things that are connected to it, but at the end of the day, yeah. Just a writer, man. No, I got you. It's good to see your face, man. We've known each other a long time. I was trying to figure out when we first met. And it seems from the timeline that we were reading about you on the research that um, you kind of broke onto the scene during the, the Bulls three-peat, right? The first three-peat, 91-ish, yeah. Well, right? I kind of started getting in the scene around there, but I didn't start really taking a deep dive mm -hmm. into basketball. Mm -hmm until michael returned we're right before michael returned um after his first quote-unquote retirement right, right right that's when slam started um michael returned slam mm -hmm. started i started with slamming issue number three mm -hmm. and then michael retired for the first time because i remember dennis page mm -hmm almost losing his mind <laughs> he's like i started a basketball magazine right. and michael jordan retired yeah like, right the meal tickets god what am i gonna exactly, do yeah right, exactly. exactly. And we hadn't even really gotten a chance to get to mike yet yeah uh because at the time there were the you know john starks was doing john starks thing mm -hmm. uh, larry johnson was doing larry johnson thing yeah sean kemp and gary payton with you know it was kind of all over the place and we were waiting to build up Mm -hmm. to Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Shaq was doing Shaq things, of course. Yeah. So right around, I forgot what issue it was, Andy, but mm -hmm. early issues, I think we hadn't even put out 10 issues yet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before Michael retired. Mm. Yeah, that's painful. Probably less than five. It was, it was really early. Yeah. Maybe, maybe less than five. It was really early. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started to surface as far as uh basketball writing is concerned and, and entering into the game and entering in the sphere that you and i um have kind of made a living off of yeah <laughs> over a while for, but i was in the game for a couple of years before that doing cultural writing uh, -huh. uh a lot of hip-hop writing a lot of writing centered around hip-hop culture because mm -hmm. i graduated with my master's degree in 1991 and i did my master's study mm -hmm. my thesis mm -hmm. on hip-hop i was one of the first people in the country to really do an academic study on hip-hop as a as a communication culture that's interesting man I did, did yeah not so know that. after that i was able to get writing opportunities by continuing looking at the the deeper side mm -hmm. uh, of hip-hop and looking at the pro-social side that you know it can have as a form of communication yeah so it's so interesting that th that both kind of intersected right hip-hop and yeah. an nba culture you know yeah i mean i want to yeah. talk i want to get into your relationship with that and with ai especially you know but um it's just so interesting that you started off in hip-hop not knowing really at that time that that the two loves of i guess that you love basketball and hip-hop were going to intersect at some point but at least not in a public form mm -hmm. if, if you live this life that we you know that, that a lot of us african americans tend to live in this country mm -hmm. they've always coexisted mm -hmm. they've mm -hmm. always there's never been a separation so yeah. um and as black folks we understand the role culture plays in everything that we do so there, there's really not too much separation from one thing to the next mm -hmm. um music music is connected to our sports activity which is connected to our interest in fashion and in, in, in that aesthetic, it, which is also connected to the way we speak and the way we live and we, our functionalities, mm -hmm. whatever we do are somehow all connected, mm -hmm. but they're just not, they've never been displayed on public platforms before. Mm -hmm. It's something that has always been 
community based when it comes to us. Mm -hmm. So I never looked at it as a merging of two separate cultures because they've always been intertwined in the lives that I've lived in the lives a lot of African Americans have lived in this country. So mm. I just happened to be fortunate enough to be at a platform that was comfortable. That's mm -hmm. the word I use. Yeah. That was yeah. comfortable with having our stories told mm -hmm. without separating the, the cultures that exist within the black community. Mm -hmm. So the beauty of working with SLAM was if I wanted to use and tell stories through the lens of black music and its connection to the game of basketball, go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. And you've been around the game a long time. Mm -hmm. the, the hip hop and basketball are no different than soul music and basketball in the 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what Julius Irving and Larry King and George McGinnis and James Silas, mm -hmm. you know, were listening to when they were in the ABA. As much as they were connected to the music and the style, listening to the Osley Brothers, listening mm -hmm. to the Temptations, you know, yeah. all, all of that and the connection to that. Mm -hmm. There was no separation. That mm -hmm. was just the life they lived. But nobody spoke about that. Right. Well, so it, with Sporting <laughs> News, right, with Sporting News or Sports Illustrated or whoever, the major newspaper were covering those athletes. Mm -hmm. They weren't including that part of their lives mm -hmm. and the connectivity of that part of their lives to their games. But well, we all did. Yeah. So when Slam came around, it was literally no disconnect. And I was given a canvas, as I like to say, to paint that picture in a way that unfortunately hadn't been painted before. So but it always existed. So was that Dennis Page's vision when he started Slam? Dennis Page's vision was to tell, to tell the story of basically street basketball, mm. of playground basketball. Let me, let me get the correct vernacular. Mm -hmm. Dennis Page is and i'll say is not was is a huge fan of the culture of basketball not necessarily just the game but the entire culture of basketball and he has a keen understanding and appreciation for that connection to our contribution as black people to the game mm -hmm. and he always thought that that was the missing piece in the storytelling of basketball when it came to public forums the NBA did a great job of telling the story. Uh, media did a great job of telling the story, but there always seemed to be something that was missed. And it's not necessarily the Rucker Park story that was untold. Mm -hmm. It was all of the playgrounds across the country where you heard the stories of people that should have been in the NBA that weren't in the NBA, -ish. people that should have had college careers that didn't have college careers. Mm -hmm. Their stories weren't being told. So when Rick Tellender goes down you know, and writes, Heaven is a playground. And there's even as he worked for Sports Illustrated, there's no public follow up to those stories being told. And in Dennis Page's mind, these stories exist. And this is the real center of basketball culture. I want to create a public forum for those stories to be told. Mm -hmm. Dennis is a publisher. Dennis is smart and he knows that in order to tell this part of basketball culture, I'm going to need something to sell that. And because the larger audience has no connectivity to this culture, mm -hmm. I have to include telling stories about the NBA. Mm. So the NBA was what led and always has been the lead of the stories that's been in Slam magazines. But Dennis Page's version was to tell this side of culture 
of the game of basketball that always seemed to be missing and do it on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. it wasn't about connecting hip hop. Yeah. It was about looking at the playground culture basketball mm -hmm. and including that as a large part of storytelling of the game. So how did you uh, get connected with Dennis, with Slam? I mean, you know, I, I read a, a good quote from you that you said that uh, you never really wanted to be a writer, right? But you had a great love for writing. And your, right. da your dad was a sports writer for what? Well, he was just a writer in general. He never yeah. wrote sports. He was, a, oh, okay. he was a news writer. He was a news reporter. He was, mm -hmm. he was the first black news reporter in the city of Chicago, one of the first 10 in the country. Mm -hmm. And he covered everything from the civil rights movement to you know, social movements that we dealt with in the community, whether mm -hmm. he was here or in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. He left, um, he started off, you know, this video, he started off with um, Britt Musburger, mm -hmm. Walter Jacobson, and um, Bill Curtis. Mm. They all started out together at the Chicago American Magazine. Interesting. Wow. So they all worked together. Yeah. And um, he moved, he left, he left, well, once the American uh shut down mm -hmm. he left he went into public relations and moved to denver colorado to be a columnist for the rocky mountain news and he stayed there until he retired so interesting, interesting. it never was sports though yeah, he yeah. never got into sports yeah. play sports played tennis played basketball at the college level uh -huh. but he never was able to write sports but mm -hmm. i kind of benefited from that because to answer your long the long answer to your question <laughs> is dennis page does what good publishers do he tracked me down. Mm, okay. He tracked me down yeah. in Chicago. Um, <laughs> and he had been reading a lot of my writings and other outlets that I was writing for. Yeah. yeah. And all of it was either based on, you know, black culture or, you know, hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, I was publishing my own magazine and it was selling in two uh, places in New York. Mm -hmm. And one of them was Spike Lee's uh, shop store that he had in brooklyn mm -hmm. i would send the magazine there and they just put it out because it was free and dennis would see my byline in like rap pages in la and you know rap sheet here in chicago and my name would pop up in uh -huh. other hip-hop publications and then he picked up the magazine he's like i keep seeing this cat's name <laughs> and he literally tracked me down through his connects in chicago huh. and you know and it was basically that that old and i hate to sound stereotypical but he's like look i know a lot of black people in chicago one of y'all got this cast number <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah I we know it. scoop yeah here call him and he literally just rang my phone up that's so and, awesome um, yeah i had yeah, no i had no that, idea i had no yeah, idea that. And, and, and it was after the second issue of slam magazine mm -hmm. and he lost his staff mm. Bob Magazine hired the entire staff of Slab Magazine except for one person, Dave Lewis. What? Yeah, because Bob, if you, I don't know if you remember, Bob yeah, Magazine at the yeah. time, Bob and Slam started off at, I think they launched the exact same month. Mm -hmm. But Vibe was owned by Time Warner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a Time Warner magazine. Mm -hmm. And uh, no disrespect to Dennis and Harris Publications, but if you got a chance to get a Time Warner check, man, everybody's going yeah. and there were five i think he was i think he had a staff of five at the time mm -hmm. and four of them left <laughs> they went they they went over the vibe that's crazy but the one player person he had left was dave lewis dave yeah. stayed on i think is um maybe managing it i forgot his position mm -hmm. and he sought out tony Gervino at sports style magazine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah. his next call he tracked me down in chicago and it's <laughs> like hey you know i read a lot of your stuff i see your name all the time but i just want to know do you 
I, I think his question was, do you know anything about basketball? <laughs> would you be interested in writing anything about basketball? Yeah. And my answer to him, Andy, was like, man, I'm from the shot. <laughs> Basketball is what we do. We That's breathe right. this game. I just have never had an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And he just put me on the connect. Yeah, I just hired a guy, Tony Gervino, to run the magazine. I put me on the, I'm put you on the phone with him. Mm. And Tony and I talked. He literally just like you, t- y'all, yeah, do what you want to do. But understand, I this is a bas- This is a magazine. I want to speak about the culture of the game. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. We always kept that in mind. He just really let us, he let us do what we do. Yeah. All right, let's leave it there for now. Uh, amazing conversation on Legends of Sport Friday with the one and only Scoop Jackson. Again, I had the opportunity to work alongside him when I was with Slam Magazine. My uh, first job when I was in college, working at Slam uh, back in uh what was this? Uh, 2002, 2001, three. It was uh, it was a fun time. The Kobe Shaq uh, time period with the Lakers. So getting to work with Scoop and having read him and having read Slam in high school and co- in college, it was such a thrill. So we'll leave it there for now. We'll come back more Legends of Sport Friday with Scoop Jackson right here on the Mightier 1090 News on the California, the Bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears... We create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big. We go all night. And here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas or Hawaii, call our hotline 310 310- 400-340, but back on Legends of Sport Friday with Andy Bernstein. Andy, I mean, these conversations you have every week are fascinating. You're enthralled by them. You want to hear more. Thankfully, you can. How can they hear the entire conversation? By the way, a two-parter with Scoop Jackson. Yes, two parts with Scoop. Um, both fascinating conversations. Um, Anybody can go to their favorite podcast platform. Our home base is iHeart, but of course you can get us on Apple and Spotify, Legends of Sport, our YouTube channel, um, Legends of Sport. This particular interview with Scoop is not on YouTube. It's audio only, but you can see our uh, our library of podcasts and other content on our YouTube channel and our Instagram at Legends of Sport. Um, my photography can be found on Instagram at ADB Photo Inc., and then everything Legends of Sport related can be found on our website, um, legendsofsport.net. So lots of, lots of places to go to get some really good content. You know, when you're watching the 
finals, Andy, I mean, how do you consume these games? Again, so many times, obviously, you have the best seat in the house, but again, you're very focused on your job. Uh, what is it like consuming the finals from home? I mean, can you enjoy it? Are you focusing on your friends on the b- baseline and seeing what they're up to? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I, I am. And I'm picturing myself in that, those scenarios <laughs> all the time. Um, I'm texting with a couple of friends, you know, who are there shooting on the baseline. Uh, it's fun for me. It's fun for me to see, um, you know, my, my buddies working, but, it's also, like you said, it's a different perspective. I mean, you know, when I'm at the finals, I'm very tunnel vision, locked in. Of course, I'm in one spot under the basket to see replays, to see things, you know, possibly for the next time when I'm in the situation that maybe I shoot a little differently. Who knows? Um, last night, um, the other night for game three, post game, I, I did a actual um, Twitter spaces live oh. chat with uh, Jason Zone Fisher and uh, Quentin Richardson and um, a great uh, um, YouTube guy. And, and we had we had a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I love doing that. I did a live Twitch with Jason last year, like actually during the actual game, which was crazy. So, you know, I'm kind of opening up my horizons a little bit. And, uh, you know, let's hope one of these L.A. teams gets in the finals next year. And- Maybe I'll be there back on the baseline. <laughs> I think I told you. I mean, I did not expect uh, uh, you know covering uh, the Western Conference Finals with you. You know, when you <laughs> we begin that season with the Lakers. Tough question before we go to the second part of Scoop's conversation. And I, I don't know if in, you can respond because you have so many. Do you have a favorite Finals moment or Finals mm. favorite Finals memory or picture? I'll give you mine real quick. The one of Kobe jacket shower hugging the trophy. It's iconic. That's that's uh, my personal one of yours. Uh, which is the one that you think of? Oh man, Narash, that's just <laughs> you know you can break that down in so many different ways. You know, pregame moments yeah. in, in the locker room with Pat Riley in the locker room for a game seven pregame speech with Bill Jackson in 2010 Lakers against the Celtics. I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever had that opportunity to do that. That was amazing. Post game, of course, Jordan holding the trophy. Yeah. One with his oh, dad. First amazing. Um, you know, like you said, Kobe with the jacket. I think that was in Philly, I believe. Yes, I think that's what, right? Yeah. Um, there was a great moment with Shaq and D Wade in the locker room, like way after the they won that championship in, when was that, 06? And uh, they were a little bit tipsy, you know. <laughs> had a wonderful shot of that. I mean, I've been so lucky, you know, to have been there for so many great moments. Another great moment, one of my favorites, 2009, when the Lakers beat Orlando in Orlando. And there was uh, that moment between uh, between Kobe and Phil Jackson oh. right after the game where they broke their, they were hugging and they broke their hug. And it was just, just such a moment in time, like a father-son moment almost. So I can't point to one, man. I'm I sorry. know. <laughs> it's like I knew that when I asked it. It was so many. It was so many. <laughs> right. Uh, but just so, I mean, just I loved hearing two of my favorites talk this week. You and Scoop Jackson. With that said, let's now hear the second part of Legends of Sport Friday this week. It is the one and only Scoop Jackson. It's so interesting that, that that's how, you know, you and, and Dennis and Slam sort of married each other you know my good friend atiba jefferson who i'm sure you know you worked with atiba various times he told me this morning that 
he remembered i think the first shoot you guys did together cover shoot was with t-mac tracy mcgrady down in orlando so. like it was yes. rook, rookie year or something right yes yeah yes Oh, well, it couldn't have been his rookie year because he was he was no, no, he, he was he was in Toronto, in Toronto first, but then when he year, went to Orlando, in Orlando, right? When right. he and Grand Hill got there together, right? Exactly, yeah, right, yeah. So, so a team is you know very similar story. I mean, you know, skateboard culture, loved hoops, you know, played hoops. I, I think Dennis did the same thing. He sought him out because he loved his photography. Yeah. Atiba at the time was working in you know once in a while as my assistant. We did a. We did one of my favorite shoots that. together. Oh yeah, we did the, the shoot uh, at Jimmy Goldstein's house with Kobe in Kobe's second season, which was one of my favorite shoots of all time. And Atiba was my my main assistant on that one. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So he, you know, so parallel paths with you. I mean, he he shot the most covers in the history of Slam, you know, and yeah. of course has gone on to do a million other things. He's amazing. And an icon in himself. And uh, yeah, he's amazing. I thought yeah. Don Morris, I thought our creative director, who's another creative slam, mm -hmm. I thought Don Morris discovered Atiba because mm -hmm. Don was, you know, a skateboard culture yeah, junkie. Yeah, you might be right about that. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that's mm -hmm. why I thought he, he grabbed Atiba from because Don mm -hmm. did not like sports. Yeah. And for years, he put together and basically curated slam. Mm -hmm. And it was driving him crazy because he was investing so much of his creative spirit mm -hmm. to the magazine, but he didn't really care about the sport of basketball or football. Everything we were doing there from a sports perspective, sports perspective, Don was not really feeling because that wasn't his thing. Mm -hmm. He was a music guy. He was yeah. a culture guy. He was a skateboard guy. He was that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. So, yeah. you know, that's why I thought he found Atiba. was like, oh, yo, yeah. we can do this because I love this guy's work. Yeah, in skateboarding. It, it, hopefully, it can easily transfer to what we're doing in, in Slam Magazine. Yeah, and obviously it has because he his, oh, every yeah. cover has been iconic that he's done. Yeah. you know, and uh, still going strong, man. He was he was a guest um, two years ago, I think, right before the pandemic. We did a, a Legends of Sports Photography, and he was one of the photographers we featured. You know, beautiful. So, hey, I'm gonna ask you a question. Speaking yeah, of that, speaking yeah. of covers, yeah, do you remember? The time we were together, mm -hmm. I forgot what you were shooting, but we were in L.A. with Shaquille O'Neal. Uh -huh. <laughs> and somebody let me into one of your photo shoots. Oh, dude, what was that? Um, I Because the, the, the story, Bob think, Berg actually shot Shaq uh -huh. for us, but they let me into a photo shoot you were doing. Yeah. And Shaq actually asked, why don't you all let Andy <laughs> shoot in your magazine? <laughs> That's hilarious. I think it, the shoot you're speaking about, I think it was a Reebok shoot that we were doing. It may have been. And uh, he ad he was great, man. He always advocated for me. I ended up shooting most of his Reebok stuff, his Pepsi stuff, Icy Hot, yeah. you know, because, you know, he and his agent Leonard at the time said, you know, Shaq only worked with Andy. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. But that yeah. was that was tough, man, because as you know, when you get into that commercial world, you know, they, they looked at me as like an action guy and like, what is this guy? And how does he know how to light anything? You know, that was my training in school. And uh, I had to earn my stripes, you know, and, and it yeah. actually worked out pretty good because I got that first Reebok gig and, and all the agency people were like waiting for me to screw it up and fail. And I, I came through pretty good. And next thing I know, I'm shooting like 
all their other athletes, Frank Thomas, Emmett Smith, yeah. they send me to the Pro Bowl, you know. So it kind of worked out. <laughs> and next thing you know, Wyden and Kennedy's calling, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that that would be good too. I mean, I shot a couple of things with with LeBron for Wyden Kennedy over right. the years, so that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, but I want to tell you real quick. This yeah. is what I was, if you don't remember Shaq when he asked me, because mm-hmm. I'll never forget this. Yeah. This is why I love you so much because of this. <laughs> is he said, why don't you all let Andy shoot for your magazine? Mm-hmm. And my response was, people always thought Slam was a black magazine mm-hmm. because of my presence in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said to Shaq, <laughs> on a joking matter, I said, it's a Jewish thing. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody cracked up. And Shaq said, I thought you all were Jewish. I was like, yeah, we kind of are. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's like the time I asked him to pose with a menorah for my family Hanukkah card. This is a true story. Oh, that's so he's coming. So he's he's coming into the game at Staples. I got the menorah. I got the candles lit. I said, "Big fella, will you just pose with this thing? It's from my holiday card." He goes, "That one of them Jew things." And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> Because of course I'll do it. He did it. And we set it out. It was the highlight of all Hanukkah Christmas cards we ever did. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. That that that's amazing. That, I, I love it. That guy. I love it. And much, I remember he man. wanted you to because he said you all should get Andy to shoot me for the cover slam uh-huh. on the Hollywood sign. Oh, I don't I don't remember him saying that, but that would have been that amazing. And he was taking off his shirt and he told you because he had just gotten that tattoo yeah. across his thing. Yeah. And he said, Andy, don't shoot this because my mother does not know about this <laughs> tattoo yet. <laughs> I love it. Uh, still a Baba's boy. I was watching his show last night at TNT <clears throat> when he went out to do the wrestling thing. And, right. that, and he hadn't told his mom yet. You know, the guy's what, 49 years old. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's hilarious. Still, anyway. still, still. So, Scoop, let's let's talk about, man, I, I need you to talk about the um, the AI story, man. It, it, that's okay. such a great story about, you know, how you sought him out at Georgetown and everything. And, and then, you know, your parallel sort of, I don't know, path with him. Like, there's a great, you have a great quote, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. It said, in my profession, I'm him, AI. We're doing a lot of the same things against all odds. Not apologetic. I've known Alan for a long time. We both had some struggles professionally, but we maintain ourselves without selling out, right? So you you saw a lot in him, and he obviously saw you know similar things in you. I, I feel like it's kind of like Kobe and I sort of this sort of a obsession that we each had in our craft, and we right. bonded over that, but we never like really talked about it until we did our book together. What was your experience with AI? Very similar to that. I think, um, and, and you've been around a long time, Andy, you look at the landscape as far as media is concerned, and mm-hmm. especially back in, what, 95, 96, around that time, mm-hmm. you didn't see too many black individuals mm-hmm. covering sports at, at, at the highest level. True. You saw it maybe at the high school level, mm-hmm. in other areas, but when you started getting into the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball, you know, and, and, you know, international soccer, you didn't see many people. I don't want to say many people of color. You really didn't see too many African-Americans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I would come into the room or come into the space, it was, it got kind of unicornish at times because I would be the, I'd be the raisin in a bowl of milk <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> and athletes, especially basketball players, 
they connect with that. Mm, mm-hmm. And the fact that I would appear as I appear right now, mm-hmm. I I wasn't the suit and tie, follow a certain code type of individual. Mm-hmm. My approach to it was similar to like you and Kobe's. Mm-hmm. Don't look at any of this. Just judge me on my product. Mm-hmm. Judge me on what I'm here to do. And that is to write and to tell you a story. That's where you should judge me. And I think my aesthetic and because I didn't, quote unquote, flip mm. or um, I didn't, I don't want to use the word sell out. I didn't conform. That's yeah. a better word. You were genuine. You, you, I, I tried. Yeah. I tried to. Yeah. I wasn't ashamed to be myself because I was proud of what I felt I had the ability to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you have a certain amount of pride and you attach your integrity to that pride, mm-hmm. you don't feel the need to have to be somebody that you're not. Especially if you're not offensive to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that where I think there was not only a connection between myself and Alan I or Alan Iverson and me, uh, but also other athletes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I and their connection to me. But with AI, I think it was a little bit different because what I was doing and the way I was flowing in my lane, he was flowing in his lane. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he was, he felt strong enough about his ability to play basketball. And that's what you all, that's what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. Play basketball, mm-hmm. nothing else. And that's what you're going to judge me on. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to change anything about me because I'm only in this for this. And I think he saw the same in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're rolling the same exact way that I am. You're in it for people to just judge you and respect you on what you're bringing to your game mm-hmm. in your lane yeah and damn everything else yeah and i think we always saw that in each other um mm. and because there were so few of us black people in media covering at that level at that time that he whenever i showed up would be like that's my man <laughs> because yeah. we We're walking the same path. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, even to the point that both of our hairs were braided Mm -hmm. and there's nobody in the media, Andy, that's coming to their, into this profession with their hair corn roll. Mm -hmm. But when we see each other, you know, he would be like, all right, let me check out, see, you know, see, see who did a nice job on your (laughs) hair this time. We would, we would have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, if if I, you know, if we wore the same, like throwback Mitchell and Ness baseball jersey. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you got Hank Aaron today. I'm like, ah, oh, you got Willie Mays. You know, it was that connection outside of those things that kept us, you know, that, that kept us in a different space mm-hmm. throughout our careers. Yeah. And also to the fact that at the time in doing his story, um, the first story we ever did on him, Slam, I never, ever once mentioned the jail situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Never mentioned the situation we're down in high school. Right. Never went that because mm-hmm. keep in mind, Andy, like I said, at Slam Magazine, we are a basketball culture magazine. Mm-hmm. And my thing in dealing with Allen Iverson was not about his personal life, yeah. was not about his aesthetic. It was about what I felt his contribution to the culture of basketball was about to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I 
That's when and you, I stuck to that, and he respected that. So that's when you met him the first time at, when he was at Georgetown, right? Yeah, I went so, up to his. I went up to his room. Yeah, you got to tell this story. It's a great story. Yeah, I did. I did the exact same thing to him that Dennis Page did to me. <laughs> I, I went to school at Howard University, right down the street from yeah. Georgetown. So I knew George. I knew the landscape at Georgetown University. Right. So I, I basically I went to go see him at a Kenner League game, mm-hmm. and that's when I knew because I had heard that he was dropping 50 in the Kenner League. Right. And I'm like, you talking about Allen Iverson from Georgetown? Like the defensive player in the Big East? Yeah. Like he's dropping 50 mm. in the Kenner League? They're like, yes. So came down to D.C. from New York, mm-hmm. checked out a Kenner League game, and I, look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, 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 the nuts and bolts of that story, Andy, is I walked into that game at mm-hmm. halftime. His team was down by 22, and he had 20 points. Oh, my God. By the end of the game, yeah. Yeah. his team won, and he had 62. <laughs> That's, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. I have just seen the future of basketball because mm. at, at six foot, mm. the things he was doing yeah. and his ability to score and how he scored was it was Nate Archibald's time three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a because good. That's a good ability. comparison. Yeah. Right, and you know how Nate was able to sure. get to the hole. Yeah. But Nate didn't have as as great as Nate could shoot. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the fluidity in his jump shot mm-hmm. or the range that Allen Iverson had, the, and he yeah. did not have the athleticism as far as hops were concerned. Oh yeah, unbelievable. Allen had all of that, and yeah. that's when I was like, okay, I've seen the future of basketball. Mm-hmm. Let me call Dennis. Mm-hmm. And that's when I called this a Dennis. We got to put Allen Iverson on the cover of the magazine. He's like, you're out of your damn mind. It's never happened. Mm. I'm like, Dennis, <laughs> we got to put him on. Yeah, because you, you never, you never had a college. You hadn't had, huh? a co- you hadn't had a college player on the no, cover. No, we had never had a college yeah. player on the cover of the magazine. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. By the time I got back to New York, yeah. we had taken a phone conversation face-to-face, and Dennis was not letting up, and I wasn't letting up. <laughs> and in the course of our conversation, yeah, me, me talking, you know, excuse my language, shit the way that I do. <laughs> I basically said, Dennis, we don't do this. I'm out. I'm gone, man. I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, wow. Knowing, knowing he wasn't going to let that happen. And knowing my wife wasn't going to let me do anything <laughs> dumb like that either. So I wasn't going anywhere. But Dennis is a smart publisher. said, all right, I'm going to prove a point. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And his argument was that, Andy. Like, we have never had a college player on the cover of the magazine. Mm-hmm. College players won't sell. Mm-hmm. I'm still in the business of making money with this thing. Mm-hmm. We're still in the business. We're early in this game. We're still trying to stay afloat. We're not making a lot of money with Slam now, yeah. but it's, it's, it's carrying its own. So I'm not in a position right now to take that risk. Mm. But he proved a point. All right, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Legends of Sport Friday. Amazing conversation with the uh, one and only Scoop Jackson, one of my all-time favorites. Just uh, you know, getting to hear some of his amazing stories and in uh, journeys and just again uh, this was such a great conversation it's actually a two-part conversation with him on legends of sport friday so uh again that's all the time we have for this week until next time this is arash markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy this is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing, currency chasing. Worldwide through the hard times, worrying faces. Shed tears as we bury brothers close to heart. What was a friend, now a ghost in the dark. Hard part about it. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.